Praise God. Good morning. If you'd like to turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, just have that open before you. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. You know, my fear is that in no way, shape, or form is the church ready for the return of Christ. And I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. As I talk to people, and if this subject ever comes up, I am shocked by those in ministry, by pastors who have been careless about this, and even more shocked by the, the casual attitude that we can have to being appointed an end times believer. The Bible says that God chooses the times and the places in which people live. And God has chosen that you live in the last days. Now that doesn't come without certain responsibilities. We should know this subject backwards. But the fact is people, they take a little fad, you know. They get interested in it for a little while and then they drop away from it. Then they're all stirred up about it again. And we've got to stop that. Whether you're aware of it or not, the church has a real habit of doing that. They go through phases and fashions in terms of what we teach, I mean. You'll see that around the world there's a real, you know, trend in healing or something. Or a real trend towards prosperity teaching or faith teaching. Okay, uh, maybe we need to study intensely some subjects from time to time. I understand that. But there are some things that are pertinent to specific generations and there are some things that should never be off your agenda. Now, I've studied end times since I got saved. It happened to be in fashion when I got saved. Everybody was talking about it all day. It dominated all that we did. So I just came right into that. But then it went out, and then it came back in. But I have noticed something very different over the last few years. And it's this. End times seems to be pretty much here to stay. And it's pretty obvious why. Because the earth is winding up. And the teaching element is becoming less complicated because all you have to do is open a newspaper. It's less of a challenge now when the things we were saying 15 years ago or whatever, people would question you. Now they can see it on Sky. Now they can watch it on the BBC. And that's just great, actually. That makes it a lot easier. Another thing I've noticed is when I got saved, there was a lot of sensationalism around end times, there was a lot of dubious teaching that really concerned me, and I don't see that as much today. And that's also great news. It seems to me that the church has in some ways refined our understanding over time, and of course as things become more and more clear. Now, I, I studied history at Cardiff Uni, and there ain't no history book like this one. None. There's nothing on earth like this book. And I'll tell you why. Because it starts earlier and finishes later than any other book. It's utterly unique. I mean, you try and write, if this was a fake, if the Bible was a fake, could you write a history of the world prophetically? Hello? Could you tell what was going to happen one generation after the next? Of course you couldn't. And yet, as you begin to unravel the Bible and you look at the prophetic plan from Genesis to Revelation, I don't know how you could ever not find God and turn and, and, and get saved because it's right before you, right? It's completely different. And so our approach to the Bible must also be different. There's two principal books, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, that teach us about the end times. Daniel's life, in fact, 
was just a walking prophecy about how to live as an end times believer. That's why he's there. That's what he did. The things that he went through, you need to know them. You need to look at what he had to suffer. You need to look at the challenges he had because these, in my opinion, are the same challenges that will face the church in the last days. Daniel had three friends. We'll call that the church. What happened then? Tested by fire. Terrible times. Testing times. Daniel himself was put under pressure to be politically correct. PC, remember? They instituted this law and that law. Oh, Daniel, by the way, now we've made a law that you can't pray. And Daniel goes back, doesn't he? You've read it. Goes to his room, opens the window, and prays out the window three times a day. Nice and loud so everybody could hear him. Gets himself arrested. So you can see that God was warning us and is trying to get us to be prepared to live as end times believers. But I don't think we take it anywhere near seriously enough. I really don't. And what I want to do for the next few weeks is just take a look at the big picture. What's changed? Well, as I say, the days in which we live have have seriously changed. These are like the days of Daniel. The same sort of thing is happening to us and that alone is a prophetic confirmation that the world is about to wind up to end. But the second big thing that has changed in modern times, and I mean just recently, is the whole financial situation on earth has drastically altered, seriously changed, I would say, for good. I don't think there's any way back from here, from where we find ourselves today. Really, if you were studying end times and you were looking at the scriptures, Jesus is very kind, very gracious to us, and shows us what to look for as the world ends. And really, we should be looking for three stages to be set. The political stage, right? the financial stage, and the religious stage. And I would say, in terms of the financial stage, we're done and dusted. It's set. I don't know what else we need to be in place. It's just about there. We know in the last days that the world will be crying out for a Savior. Not a savior to save it from sin, but a savior to save it from financial chaos. And I would say of this recession that the world is currently in, that it's very different from previous crashes that have happened. Different in many ways. The speed. I mean, that's just about the fastest catastrophe, you know, we've ever seen. Secondly, it is truly global. It has affected the whole world because of the nature of the days in which we live again. And the third point's the most important one. It's not fixable through conventional means. The conventional economic structures around the world cannot fix this. What they need, and as our own Prime Minister stated just, what, four or five weeks ago in the middle of Europe, he said what we need is a new world order. His very words, not mine. And we know from the Bible that it was predicted in the last days that a new world order will rise up. And that new world order will eventually be led by who? By the Antichrist. Okay? I mean, more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. Absolutely. More up to date than anything you're going to see in one month, two months, or three months. So start reading it. Start digging into it like you have never done before. Do you remember when they took Stephen out to kill him in the book of Acts? He was able to recount his whole history. Able, he knew all his forefathers, all that had happened. 
Amen. So the people of God should be. We should have our finger on the pulse like no previous generation. I'm talking to you. Right? Every single one of you who call yourself a saint, who call yourself born again, you need to apply yourself like never before to this subject. Now, I'm saying that the financial crash cannot be solved through conventional means simply because of the enormity of the debt. I mean, I don't know if you heard what the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK said, but he said he was shocked. (laughs) Hello, if he's shocked, you know, that's because he knows what's going on. I think people don't know what's going on. They're not shocked. He was shocked by the sheer enormity of the debt that has emerged, particularly in the States. They estimate, and this is national debt and private debt, both public debt and private debt, they estimate it's about 40 trillion. And you talk to the average, you know, American, and they will say, ah, it's okay, 40 trillion. They'll sort it out, you know. We've got the National Reserve, the the, the Federal Reserve. Everything will be okay. Friends, you do not have a Federal Reserve. It is neither of those two. It's it's, It's a complete misnomer. It is not Federal and it's not a Reserve. It's not Federal, it's a private bank. And it's not a reserve because they estimate there's $8 trillion in reserves in the U.S. No, therefore, it's not a reserve because you're $40 trillion in debt. So it's not a reserve. Amen. You see, bust. Bankrupt. Totally and utterly bankrupt. There is no way back. There's no way to fix this apart from exactly what the Bible predicted, and that is a new world order, which is being constructed as we live. On your television every day. Now these figures, 40 trillion, big figures, big numbers, but they just go over the top of your head, don't they? You need to start to get a bit of a handle on it. Let me give you an idea what 1 trillion is. Never mind 40, 1. If you started a business on the day that Jesus Christ was born, and you weren't a very good uh, at business, and you lost a million dollars a day, every day up until today it would still take you another 700 years to reach one trillion you get the picture <laughs> that's a lot of money how uh, what's the size of, America, of uh, the u.s debt 40 trillion and i heard politicians last week and the week before saying we're you know we're mortgaging our our, our children's children i thought you, you must be joking you're mortgaging your children's 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 children beyond all imagination, friend. Forty trillion is, is beyond reach. You must be kidding. So that will give you some idea of the sheer foolishness that the governments of the world have been involved in financially and the, 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 the corruption there also. So we can't say we weren't warned. You can't say that you weren't warned. Cover to cover. The Bible speaks prophetically of this time. An awful lot of attention given to the last days, which means we needed to know stuff about the last days so that we would be prepared to live through them and to be a testimony in them. More people come to faith now, you know, in these days than have ever come to faith, you see? So it's very important for us to see these things. So the apostles come to Jesus one day. They're following him along, and he's talking about the last days. He's talking about how things are going to wind up, you know? And they want him to get more specific. So in Matthew 24, they come up and they say, you know, Lord, tell us a little bit more. What would the signs be? What are we supposed to look for 
in the last days. And Jesus begins to spell out, like never before, in Matthew 24, the story of end times, the unraveling of events. So take a look at it. Actually, I'll start from chapter 23 and verse 39, because that is a very important verse. Right? I've got it underlined in my Bible because it's a prophetic word there, you see, about the future. Matthew 23 and verse 39 talks about the return of Christ. When is Jesus going to come back? Verse 39 says, For I tell you the truth, you will not see me again, the return of Christ. You will not see me again until you learn to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now there you are right there. So we can tell one thing, that the Jews in some number will begin to turn to Christ as the end draws near, right? So there is a sign right there. But we'll start in chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Here they go with their question. Tell us, they said. When will all this happen? And what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age be? And Jesus answered, Watch that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Look at the next few words. But, this, but the end is still to come. So that's not the end, just because there's wars and famines. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved and here's the key piece for today anyway. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And the, here's the punchline. And then the end will come. So he answered their question. When you see that the gospel, the other pieces are in place. He, what, what, he said wars, right? Wars, famines, earthquakes. The, the, the trouble is we have had wars, famines, and earthquakes in every generation. But he said three things would be happening in one generation, all at the same time. Wars, famines, and earthquakes. The Jews would return to their homeland, which they did, of course, 1948. Your generation. Wars, famines, and earthquakes. Plagues and diseases. The Jews return to their homeland. And the last sign, in that discourse anyway, was that to look for the gospel having traveled around the world, but mark you, he did say the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of salvation. And there's a, a subtle difference there which we'd need to draw out to get a clear understanding of what Jesus is actually saying. The way to tell the time in the last days, in the end times, is this. Israel will pretty much stay where it is, right? But the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, would travel right around the globe travel around the world. Now, that had, in years gone by, this, is, this had never happened. But as you look at history and you follow the history, you find when these two things come together, when Israel being evangelized and the journey of the gospel around the world, Jesus himself says, when you see, excuse me, both those things 
coming to completion, you know then that the end is upon you, right? Beyond any shadow of any doubt. Now, has that happened? And that's what I want to explain today. Because that, my friends, has fully, fully happened. Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation is when you're told to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's about salvation. But he specifically said there, you just read it, that the gospel of the kingdom would have circumnavigated the whole earth and then the end will come. So let's see if that has happened. You can start with Israel, the Hebrew people. In fact, when they were in slavery in Egypt, they were beaten down. You know, it was a terrible 400-year period for them. But who came to deliver them? Moses. And Moses brings with him the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus is a king. And he's looking for a kingdom on earth. He's going to have it, by the way. we just got to go through all this first. <laughs> he will have his kingdom. And he is a king. Right? Now, he comes to Israel and he wants to be their king. They're a bunch of slaves. And he sends Moses. And Moses goes in and he, he downloads the law, you know. And God gives them a whole structure. Not just salvation. God gives them a whole structure for their society. He gave them a new calendar. He gave them laws to rule their society. He gave them a health system, a better one than we've got in the UK. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's a joke. He gave them a financial system. He gave them rules for running businesses within their society. I mean, he got meticulously involved. Why? Because it was his people. It was his kingdom. He was the king. You see? And it was a kingdom here on earth. And he had that with the, you know, the, 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 the Hebrew people came out of slavery. They were out there in the wilderness. But what happened? They turned to false gods. And God tried. And for hundreds of years, he was patient and gracious and wanted just this one thing. A kingdom. A relationship with mankind. But you know what happened. Israel just constantly turned God away. So God continued his search for a people on earth. For a place on earth. And one of the most important end time scriptures actually is Acts chapter 16. Take a look at this. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. And this is a command that really in my opinion still uh, gives the momentum to the gospel today. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a Macedonian, that's a European man, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, for Macedonia concluding that the gospel must be preached to them also. Friends, You've got to understand that God, Jesus himself, gave you a warning. And the warning was this. When you, that's you, when you see that the gospel has traveled around the world, I'm coming back. Now, Paul is in Israel, and the gospel has largely been confined to Asia. And all this time, all these years, God's focus was there. But they rejected the gospel. They rejected God as their king. And there was a consequence. The consequence is right there. You just read it. God says to Paul, okay. Tell you what, Paul, go west. Go west. So he wants to go up to north. He wants to go, you know, east. But the Holy Spirit won't let him. God says, no. This gospel, just as Jesus said, will go out 
to all the nations. So you're going to Europe, Paul. And so he did. And that word, I believe, in my opinion, that word still stands today. The gospel still you know, is moving around the earth based on that one thing that Jesus said to Paul, that God spoke to Paul right there. Now, if you put your foot, as Paul did, with his gospel of the kingdom into Macedonia, you're in mainland Europe, and in Europe, all roads lead to Rome. And so it did. So the early believers, led by Peter, led by Paul, made their way across Europe, evangelizing as they went. You can read all about it, Paul's missionary journeys and all that. And you can see what they established. And they landed in Rome. And I tell you, friends, just looking back over time, the Europeans are to be greatly commended for the way they embraced this Jewish gospel, if you like, because they were all Jews that were coming across. They're to be greatly commended. They took Christianity completely to their heart. And you, this is Sweden, Stockholm. But you could go to any European city and look at the skyline. What will you see? Churches. And they built Europe based on this gospel that had come to them. Now, when the Jews came out of Israel, by the way, they were a bunch of slaves. They had no societal structure whatsoever. But because of the gospel of the kingdom being given to them, do you know what? From a disorganized bunch of slaves, they became the superpower on the face of the earth. And it only took about two or three hundred years because they had the gospel of the kingdom with them. But they lost it. They lost it, and this same gospel moved into Europe. And what happened to Europe? They became the superpower. Same sort of thing. We had the rise, the, 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 the consistent rise over a long time of the Roman Empire. Wherever the gospel went, also went favor, also went great power. In fact, in every region where the gospel has actually traveled, that region has become it's a bit like the Ark of the Covenant. Whoever had it had, was indestructible, you know? And it was the same thing with this gospel of the kingdom, right? Now, I need to deal with something. Believe me, your understanding of the end times is never going to progress anywhere until you learn what Mystery Babylon is. If you read the book of Revelation, again and again, this term comes up. And basically, God describes the last days on earth as a clash between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of our God. There's the church and God. And on the other hand, he, he, he describes the kingdom of the devil as Mystery Babylon. Now, maybe today, I know there's a major move to get this scripture into the church and amen hallelujah we need to know fully completely what mystery babylon is and i want to explain that today because i in my opinion it's vital for you to form, for, for you to know it takes two forms mystery babylon in the bible it takes a political and an economic form which will be the emerging in my opinion of the european union right that will be political babylon a, a strong house of power that will once again dominate you know in, in the european region and call the shots around the world, but it takes a religious form also. Mystery Babylon has two incarnations, and in the end, the political one destroys the religious one. But as a believer, I need to fully understand this, because you know what? If I don't, then I'm not following in the steps of Stephen and Acts. I'm not going to be ready for what's up ahead, okay? So let's just take a moment and go back and find out where did Mystery Babylon come from? What is its form? Religiously, I'm talking about. 
Where did it originate? Well, actually, it originated in Genesis chapter 10 with a man called Nimrod. And Nimrod took a wife called Samarius. And Samarius considered herself to be God. She, she had a son called Tamus. And she felt that her son was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where it says the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So she set herself up. She gave herself a title. She called herself the Queen of Heaven. And so there are images of her, the mother and holding the child. And this became the birth of what became known as the mother-child cult. It spread from Babylon through Phoenicia, where they started to worship Ashtoreth poles and all that sort of thing. And in, in, in due course, she changed the name of her son from Tamos to... You see, friends, not one person understands the end times. You see? It's a problem. Now, we need to get with it. She changed the name of her son to Baal. And it became then, it infected the people of God. It infected Israel with Baal worship. Whenever Jezebel married Ahab, she brought that in with her. And this Baal worship, Babylonianism, continued to travel from Phoenicia to Pergamos, where, where the book of Revelation describes it, this type of worship, as Satan's seat. Now, Samaria set herself up as the only way, really, to approach God. You had to go through her, to her. She said there was a system of sacraments and works through which people get saved. Ceremonial cleansing and the sprinkling of water and all this. Now listen, look at me and listen, please. She, she said her son was killed when he was out hunting a wild boar. And in order to see a resurrection, she commanded 40 days of fasting from which we get Lent. Right? Not in your Bible. A religious tradition. So don't tell me this is out of our societies. It isn't. Then she went on to say that her son came back to life, that he was gloriously resurrected. So she set up a feast to celebrate his resurrection. She called it Ishtar. We call it Easter. And she said that every person should go out and celebrate the resurrection of her son by giving each other brightly colored eggs. Just like that. So don't tell me Babylonianism is gone. At the end of time, the Bible says that these two kingdoms come head to head. It's alive and well. So right back there, fighting against the kingdom, she instituted bright... Easter was never a Christian feast. It is a pagan feast. God already told us what to do. We celebrate with a Passover offering. We celebrate Passover, not Ishtar, not a pagan festival. She went on to say that her, her son had died and then was resurrected and you celebrate it with eggs. Then she said because her son was born in midwinter that they should set up an evergreen tree. That a tree should be set up and people should go and see that. In fact, take a look at it. Take a look at Jeremiah. You can see it for yourself. Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 3. And this is God talking. For the customs of this people are worthless, are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and the craftsman shapes it with a chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with a hammer and nail so that it doesn't totter, topple. <laughs> now, please, friends, has anything moved on? Well, it has, actually. Now we use these. We don't need a hammer and nails. We've got Christmas tree bases. Th things have really moved on, right? Oh, Babylonianism... Baal worship, the religious system that followed Paul across Europe, is alive and well. 
And it still has, has pertinent implications upon your life today. Do you know in those days the emperors received two crowns whenever they came to power? One crown, this is in Rome, one crown was the crown for the emperor. It was a political crown. But the other crown was a religious crown. It was the crown called Pontifax Maximus, Pontiff, from which we get the word Pope. And this is the origin of this, so this is what, what, what all comes together in the last days with a clash of these two kingdoms which have never gone away. You will all know an emperor called Constantine gets spoken about so much. In 312, Constantine issued what was known as the Edict of Toleration. Now listen carefully because you're going to need this for the future. When Constantine came to power in 312, he took over, he, he, he is called a Christian by many. Now I don't personally believe he was saved, but he did a lot of good for the Christian church. And Paul had traveled across, the, the Christian church was trying to establish itself in Rome, right, all across Europe. But Constantine came to power in a state that had Babylonianism, Baal worship, as its official religion. But here, here he is as emperor with a, a soft heart towards the Christians, so they say. Do you know what he did? He took the mother-child worship of Babylonianism and he took the Christian church and he put them together. And that's why you've got your Easter. And that's why you've got your Christmas tree. And you could look back and you would never dream that that could happen. But that's exactly what happened. The, the mother-child thing became officially endorsed from the top, from the Emperor Constantine, and is still there today, alive and well. Mystery Babylon is not a mystery anymore. The word mystery in Greek, actually, is not like, it's not Agatha Christie, you know. Our word mystery, you think you're never going to figure it out, right? But the word mystery in Greek means that which is progressively revealed over time. That which becomes apparent, and it has become apparent that there are two kingdoms on this earth, the kingdom of our God and the emerging kingdom of Babylon, mystery Babylon. I repeat, it is based upon a religious system which is based in Rome. It will also be based politically within Europe. That's the political side of it. I just want you to see, friends, the Hebrew people rejected God as their king, and so the gospel moved into Europe. But Europe did exactly the same thing. And the true Christians, their believers, were forced to go off the far edge of Eastern Europe. If I can go back to my map, they just kept on traveling. Now, if you come to the shores of France, what's your next stop? The UK. And that's exactly where they came. And guess who became the superpower? The emergence of the British Empire. Nothing to do with colonialism. Nothing to do with anything to do. It was God. It was the gospel of the kingdom coming to rest like the ark in a nation. And with it came power, rulership, because God wanted his gospel out to the nation. Simple as that. And once again, Britain is to be you know, highly credited. This gospel came from the top down. It came from the throne, which was original. I know it's very corrupted today. But originally this gospel did come from the monarch and she was the custodian of the word of God and all the rest of it. She was instituted by the church. But you know your own history. This nation crumbled and there were many religious wars within our country. And ultimately, people couldn't find peace. Genuine Christians, real Christians, couldn't find their expression. Right? And they were crushed down by society. They were called the Puritans, the Huguenots, the Baptists. Right? Mennonites and on and on it goes. 
people who originated here. So where are they going to go? It's not long ago. So they sailed to America. You know, I was driving through Liverpool. This is not long ago. <laughs> driving through Liverpool one day, and I saw this old church, and I thought, wow, that looks old. And, and, and I pulled up, and the place was open. I went over, and it said the oldest building in Liverpool. I thought, wow, yeah. Got inside and looked around, and there on the wall was a plaque saying, from this church, Richard Mather preached his last message before sailing on the Mayflower to go to... I thought, wow. It's still standing. It's still there, the very church. Scary stuff, you know. We, say, we, we think these things are distant. No, they're happening right before your eyes, whilst you live. So they did. They went to America. And America is to be highly, you know, uh, praised for what they did. And the way those founding fathers went over, they did a great job. They even had God's name on their money. Now, if you get your name on people's money, I think you're doing very well, don't you? This was once again a gospel of the kingdom. It was established from the top down. Abraham Lincoln, this is a famous portrait actually. What's he got in front of him? <laughs> a Bible. And what's he sitting in front of? His piano, where he would famously sit and sing hymns to God with his family. Oh, it was a gospel of the kingdom, all right, from the top down. So what happened to America when the gospel of the kingdom came? They became the superpower whilst you live. Whilst you live. Now, it's a tragedy because they have not been faithful in that. There's enormous pressure, much more than we suffer here. The States has gone, I mean, surprisingly, but it has. It's unbelievable. Talk about PC. I mean, it's extreme. But I thank God that in our lifetime, George Bush here, being inaugurated as president, I thank God that he doesn't have his hand on a Quran. He has his hand on a Bible. And that's because I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that any human being is ever going to get right with God. And we have needed this in our day. And I, you know, God bless America. God bless America because they have safeguarded the world. And I, I hope and pray them out and through these troubled times that they're in. But it's not looking good. It really isn't. Politically, I think, well, I think they're going down the plug hole. I'll just tell you the truth. I really do. It needs a real, I better not go into politics, but I'm telling you, friends, I thank God for what they've done, but it's, it's not looking good for the future there. So this is what has happened in the past, but you won't be seeing this, I think, in the, in, the, in the near future. So the gospel was pushed out yet again from American shores. Now, where are you going to go if you go off the west coast of America? Hawaii. Hallelujah. Everybody wants to go to Hawaii. No, you're going to China, right? <laughs> Do you know, whilst you live, the gospel has been rattling through. This is the underground church in China. The gospel has been moving within, what is it, they estimate 35,000 converts a day in China, right? Now, this is going back a few decades now, but that's exactly what has happened. The gospel has moved across China on into Korea. Korea hosts the biggest church in the world today. It's the wave. It's the wave. It's the same wave from Acts chapter 16. It's the gospel of the kingdom coming to its conclusion in the last days. Now tell me, where's it going? <laughs> where's the wave going? It's traveling around the world. Where's it going to end? Israel. God's destination. That's what's going to happen. You will not see me again, Israel, until you learn to say, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul spells this out in Romans 11, where he says, Israel, yes, have received a hardening of heart in part, but in the end, that will be taken off them. The veil will be removed and they will see the Messiah. Hallelujah for that. Amen. And we need to be involved in praying for the peace of Israel. Amen. Now, Jesus put it like this. He said, the first will be last and the last will be first. So who was the first to receive the gospel? So who's the last? So the wave is coming back indeed again, as I say, whilst you live. Israel is now more open than they have ever, ever been. Ever been. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu gave a very well-known Christian TV station a piece of land to build a, a, a broadcast station in the middle of Israel. The God Channel will come out of there as well, right? I mean, th th these are days of favor. Blessed, you know, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's happening again while we live, in your lifetime. These are the last days. And I would say that based upon what Jesus has said. The nations have heard the gospel of the kingdom. Israel has returned to their homeland. And the political, economic, and religious stage that Revelation says the Antichrist will enter are already set. I admit, politically and economically, there's a way to go. But have you seen the speed? Have you seen the speed with which things are happening? It's phenomenal. So when those stages, those final stages, will actually be ready, politically, I don't know, but it's happening very, 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 very quick. I mean, there's signs in the earth. You know the recent tsunami. That was a terrible, terrible thing, the tsunami. I don't want to say God calls the tsunami. I'm not going to go there. But I would say this, friends. I don't think that God can return to planet earth without a few shakes. Right? Without a few moves. When he died, there was an earthquake. When he rose, there was an earthquake. And the, the irony is this, if you follow the wave of the gospel up until about 2001, the edge of the wave would have been just about passing over Banda Aceh, you know. You need to get ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been warned exactly how it's going to come again. Actually, you don't need to read the Bible, you can just read the paper. Because it's there. It's all over the paper if only we could recognize it. I know that's a lot to take in. Get the CD of today and get your Bible and get a pen and get a piece of paper and sit down, friends, and start to study out what is going to happen in these coming years. Amen? Amen. We need to take this very seriously. The end is nigh. The end is upon us. Let me close by saying a few words to the nations. If you were from Africa, okay, let's go back to our map. If you were from Africa, you could sit here this morning and say, oh, that's all well and good. He mentioned Israel. He mentioned Europe. He mentioned America. What about us? No mention of us. What's our role in this? And I want to say, friends, from, from the bottom of my heart and from my gut, I feel such a heavy, not bad heavy, but good heavy, prophetic word for the African nations. And we get more emails, more calls from Africa than any other continent on our TV program. Africa has a key role to play in the last days in Europe. The Bible puts it like this. God says, in the last days, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. That's talking about missionaries. Now, who were the missionaries that went to Africa? Europeans. Largely Europeans, indeed here from Scotland, David Livingstone, right. 
Largely Europeans and largely British Europeans at that. In the last days, God will turn back the children to their fathers, founding missionary fathers, and the fathers to their children. Now tell me what's happening in Europe in these last days. What nationality, what, what race, what culture are the fastest growing churches in Europe? Every country it's the same. The African churches are the fastest. I was at a TV meeting this week in London. And they invited people interested in going out you know, around the world. And I sat in a row. This is what happened. Every person was black. <laughs> Every person in front of me. All the broadcasters. And I was looking around. One guy nudged me, you know. I won't say who. You wouldn't know him. Nudged me and he said, I'll know where to find you when we get to heaven. <laughs> You'll be with the black guys, huh? He, I said, no. No. And I couldn't carry my conversation because we were just about to start our meeting. No, you won't. I will be with the international group. Thank you. Right? And I, I could grab him, you see, like any other African pastor who has a large black congregation. You're missing it. You're missing it. It's the end times church. It's an international church. And I, I was <laughs> missing it. Finger off the pulse. You're supposed to come back into Europe and work in the local churches and do the job you've been called to do. Ain't no one in this earth can pray like the African continent. Amen. No one. They've been anointed for that task, called for that task. This is your day. This is your hour. Right? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. The end times church must be international. What a disgrace. What a disgrace it is if we're still got small mindedness. Amen. It's happening anyway. And I would say to those of you in Africa, please pray for this ministry. It's called preparing the way. Do you know why? <laughs> because we're preparing the way for the return of Christ. That's why. Because he's coming back. And I need you to pray for us. And I need you to partner with us financially also. Please do that because we need help. We need multiplied millions to get out around the nations of the world. To those of you here, particularly in this church, what about Asians? If you were Chinese or, or, or Pakistani, Indian or whatever, what are you doing here? <laughs> what part of you? Well, who brought the gospel to Asia? C.T. Studd, Hudson Taylor, the Brits again. Sorry, but that's what happened. They were very good at that, <laughs> right? They went all over the place. And God's word will not prove void. In the last days, I will turn back those children, back to their fathers. And Asians will, this church was planted by Asians. Hello. It's prophetic, you see. So see your part. See your role in the last days. What if you were American? <laughs> Who brought the gospel to America? Sorry, they did. <laughs> they brought the gospel there. I spent the last five years traveling around 17 major American cities, teaching on missions and raising up teams to come back into Europe. And it's simply the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, I know that's a lot to take in for one day. We've only just started. <laughs> There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. This world is changing so fast that it, 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 it's constant. I believe from this point on, I don't think we can behave as we have. I think from this point on, we need to have a constant update of what's happening in world affairs so that as the bride of Christ on earth, we are preparing ourselves and educating everywhere we go Right? Oh, how the devil would love to tell you that this is out of date. What? Out of date? <laughs> it's all there. 
It's all there. And I know it's in vision form. That's judgment, by the way. He hides mystery Babylon. It's a form of judgment. But he has opened it to you. So see it and begin to live in preparation for the battle that God tells you is ahead in your life. The last days are not good news. They're good news for us. We're born again. I'm happy to die and go to heaven tomorrow. No, you know, no problem. But the last days are not good news for everybody because not everybody's saved. And even here this morning, many of you will not be saved. And I ask you to take very seriously what you see right here and give your life to Jesus Christ. It's not through ceremonial cleansing. It's not through the sprinkling of water. It's by repenting of your sin and putting your faith in his substitutionary death so that you can receive his life. There is no other way. Amen? Let's bow our heads a moment. Invite the worship team. I want to give an opportunity for anyone who doesn't know the Lord to give your life to Christ. If you've never done that before and you know that you're not born again, then all you must do is, is turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and turn to Jesus and put your faith in His forgiving power. If you want to do that, just raise your hand and I'll come and speak with you at the end of this meeting. Hallelujah. I want to give your life to Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Help us not to be sleepy or for our hearts to grow cold as this world winds to a close. The apostles fell asleep when Jesus needed them the most. Let's not make this same mistake, God, but let us be alive and of assistance to you in the last days. And we give ourselves to you for this very purpose. Take us individually, corporately, and use us as a witness for the return of Christ. Let's stand, folks.